So thinking hard about the kind of investment you need, the kind of company you're building before you start to go out and and raise money is really important. I'm Kelly Hoey, host of Broad Mike. I speak with the most accomplished entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders about the issues that matter in building a business. You will get the inspiration as well as the picks and shovels you need to become a better entrepreneur. Be inspired, take action, think broad. Our guest today has a golden resume. Notable for the ease with which she has crossed the Internet 2.0 digital divide, while at the helm of some of the biggest brands in media, commerce, and consumer products, Disney, ABC, Gilt, and AOL. Susan Line is now founder and president of Built by Girls Ventures, a.k.a. BBG Ventures, a corporate VC fund investing in early-stage, female-led businesses with consumer, tech-enabled products. You'll hear what she has to say about how to look for mentors, whether it makes sense to go for VC money or not, and why you may be shooting yourself in the foot if you're a solo founder. Keep listening if you want to hear Susan Lyne's unique blend of inspiration and practical wisdom for today's happy warrior. Why women now? You know, I think it's not why women now. I think it's always been why women um, or or yes women. Um, but I do think that in this this tech enabled economy, the fact that that women are um, are such minority players is shocking, given that it's two thousand sixteen. Um, and if we look forward and we think about the world we want to see, you got to have more women participating. Uh, And that means being some form of activist now. I love that word, activist, because so much of um, financial wealth is sitting on the sidelines um, and not actively getting into, you know, I'm going to say making it happen for women now. Um, We were both looking at a series of infographics that Plum Alley had produced on Mm -hmm. women's entrepreneurship. What are your thoughts on those? You know, I think... um, what it speaks to, and and this is not a surprise, is that most women's entrepreneurship is really small business. Um, it is you doing something. So I I think it shows that something like thirty five, maybe forty percent of all female entrepreneurs, it is just them. So really, what they're doing is creating a service, and they create a company around that service, um, and. Most of them are good small businesses that ultimately make money, support a family, do all the things that that good businesses ought to do. Um, What I think we're talking about is how do we move women in business into this world of high-growth venture where you can actually create true wealth and where you can influence the world, right? You can you can you can create jobs. You can can create opportunity for people. You can change uh, consumer behavior. You can. There are just so many things that that can happen when you tap technology to to create something innovative. And this is where I think I hope um, 
women and business are going to move. I certainly see, you know, so many young female entrepreneurs now coming out of not just uh, not just engineering schools, but B schools and consulting and and corporations with some um, sector specific skill set, uh, and they believe that they can fix something that doesn't work well. So, you know, women are are consumer problem solvers, right? <laughs> we see some aspect of work life, home life, play life um, that we think we can materially improve. And uh, so there's this whole new wave of female entrepreneurs who are coming out and saying, I can make this better. Well, and, and the example I always love to give is like, if women had been more involved with designing of cars, there would have been a place for the handbag from day one. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. So it's like, ladies, you got you got to get in this game. Finally, so that- we got coffee holders. <laughs> well, I got, I got another theory on that one, but but it's uh, the whole idea that if you want, this is such a great opportunity right now because of technology yeah. to create a future that works for us. Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to always being kind of butting heads against mm-hmm. it and rallying against it. Um, you've had a long uh, and illustrious career, media, digital e-commerce. How did it prepare you for your current role uh, mm-hmm. as an investor? You know, I I, I think about this uh, on, on one level. It didn't, but... Um, I have always been focused on on female consumers because uh, for as long as I have been working, women have been the primary magazine readers. They've been the primary television viewers. You know, we are the end user, and that hasn't changed now, right? Uh, I'm, I'm now focused on this tech world. Um, and if you look at all the fastest growing parts of of either social media or mobile um, women dominate you know we are and I may get these numbers a little wrong but they're they are pretty close so we're 56 percent of Facebook users we're 60 percent of Twitter users we're 70 percent of snapchat Instagram users um, if you look at Pinterest it's just off the charts we use mobile phones more frequently um, we're on social media more often. You know, we are the person you should be speaking to if you are building a consumer tech company. So that part of it has not changed for me. Um, every every good decision I have ever made has been because I looked at that female consumer um, and said, what does she want? How is she changing? What can I do to delight her? I'm just thinking in terms of, did you ever imagine that you would have this, um, you know, wake up and think, all right, I'm, I want to do these kind of leadership roles. What was it, do you think, in terms oh, no. of your, your yeah. background that, that enabled you to step in? Because you've all, from your, mm-hmm. I want to say, your original career starting in, in media, they've all been very creative leadership broad thinking kind of roles, anything in in your background you can say, you know what, it was because of this. You know, one thing I would say is I am the oldest child of five. I've got four brothers and sisters who were all born within five years. Uh, I was never 
the baby, right? I was always the big kid. Uh, and I was the oldest grandchild, oldest of eight, 18 grandchildren, I believe. Um, so, uh, you know, I have, I was always pushed into being a leader, even as a little kid, because I was responsible for the younger ones. And, uh, you know, that that probably imprinted on me more than anything else. Um, it's definitely something that as I look back, uh, I, I look to maybe the grown-ups for guidance, um, but I always felt like I had to, I had to take my little chicks under my wings. <laughs> I was like, you know, tell, telling a, the eldest grandchild, the, the firstborn to, you know, step up and be the example. Yeah. Not, not, not a bad lesson. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So I'm excited that you started BBG Ventures. Why was this the right time yeah. for that venture fund? Yeah. So, you know, it, um, it goes back a little bit to the time I was at Gilt because when I, when I went from the Martha Stewart Company to Gilt, uh, I was suddenly surrounded by all these young entrepreneurs and particularly Alexis and Alexandra who were part of that founding team were really the key people on that founding team. They're the ones who built the Gilt experience. Um, and uh, through them, I met a lot of other young women entrepreneurs who were part of that first wave of New York City um, B-School grads who decided instead of going to McKinsey or Bain, I'm going to start a company. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was LearnVest and Rent the Runway and Paperless Post and, um, and uh, Birchbox and of course, guilt. And uh, through all of those young women, I started meeting even more young entrepreneurs. We started a, a breakfast group that started with maybe a dozen young women. And uh, by the time I left guilt, it was probably 75. And now when we do it, and we do it a couple of times a year, we have to rotate because we have over 150 working entrepreneurs on this list. Um, but what struck me is that there were, as this wave of of young women were coming through with a lot of great ideas, um, that uh, the the amount of venture capital that was going to female entrepreneurs was shockingly low. Uh, and to me, I, I mean, I can look at that as a um, as being unfair, or you can look at it as an opportunity. And I looked at it as an opportunity. So uh, we launched uh, BBG Ventures because uh, it, it is now eminently possible to take uh, a good idea and see if there's market fit without spending millions of dollars. That's how far technology has now advanced, right? So you can get out there and you can test your concept and assuming that that you see something that is really resonating, you can go out and raise your seed money. Uh, but for young women, there are far fewer options. So um, our thought was, you know, why not invest in the entrepreneurs who know that end user best, who really understand what she needs what she wants, 
what's going to really make her happy. And thus, we launched BBG Ventures 18 months ago. We've seen, I mean, this is a shocking stat, but in that time, we have seen or been approached by 800 entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs. Oh, there's no women out there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would love to invest in women, but no, we can't can't find find them. Okay, so you eight hundred in in, in uh, eighteen months, and from that eight hundred, how many are you? We've invested in twenty four. We are about to close two more, so twenty six. That's fantastic. Yeah, and geographic location for these these the companies yep. you're investing in: New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. Okay, and for those who don't don't know uh, your investment thesis, what are you investing in? We invest in, uh, in consumer companies. Uh, first of all, we are seed investors, so we get in early. We occasionally invest in an A round to start. Um, we will always do follow-on, but, uh, but we sometimes look at a company that's already raising an A and think there's still enough serious upside here that we will dive in, but we're primarily a seed fund. Um, we invest to $250,000 um, on average, sometimes as, as little as $100,000. Um, and uh, we really uh, look for companies that are, um, are in arenas where I think we can add more value than just money. Uh, so we tend to focus on marketplaces, commerce, mobile services, media, especially video, um, and increasingly um, Internet of Things, so connected devices. Why seed stage? Why was it so important in your mind mm-hmm. that, that your venture fund come in at the seed stage? Well, really a couple of reasons. One is that we have a $10 million fund, so if we're going to – um, really make that money count, we need to be able to get in early. Um, I think, too, that that if we want to impact um, this broader group of uh, female entrepreneurs, then being able to put up a little money with a lot of women, you know, ultimately we will probably have 50 or 60, maybe even 65 companies in this portfolio, uh, uh, that means getting in where where a two hundred thousand dollar investment actually has meaning. Just a thank you for you know being in there and being early and putting that stake in the ground uh, with respect to women um, and investing in them at that stage because it's just so so needed. Um, how are you? Are you seeing a eight hundred? deal flow, you're out there, you're talking to a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what kind of advice in terms of you could give to women who are entering in this entrepreneurial ecosystem? What kind of advice to them in terms of how they should start to navigate it and figure out where they fit in it? Because as you've already yeah. alluded to, not everything is it's not angel backable, it's not right. venture backable, yeah. but yeah. how they figure out who they are and navigate yeah, and I think that's the first question, right? That's the first thing you have to sort through. So there are a lot of great ideas. Um, 
that could be good businesses, that could support your family, could make you actually a wealthy woman, but don't have the characteristics of a venture company. Um, And by taking venture funding, you may be damaging the long-term interests of that idea or that company uh, because, uh, because venture investors will be looking for fast growth, right? They will be looking for this to scale quickly. Um, Not necessarily what all businesses need. You know, some businesses should should have that slow build um, where you're building a brand, you're building a reputation, um, you are demonstrating that you can deliver a service or a product that is really best in class. um, And that may take real time and learning along uh, the way. So thinking hard about the kind of investment you need, um, the kind of company you're building uh, before you start to go out and and raise money is really important. I think that that the idea of raising a venture round has become kind of a badge of honor. And so there's a number of companies we see, number of women we meet with who we really believe should be going a different way. And this is one of the things that that I think we should all be be thinking about. There need to be alternative ways to fund a business. Um, and some of them should be because the government puts up a bunch of debt that can be accessed by by female entrepreneurs. There should be debt vehicles that can be accessed by women. Um, and there should be you know, different kinds of investment funds that are not typical venture, right, that are um, more along the lines of private equity but for small business. I was going to say, like, I was back in the day where if you were, as exactly as you describe it, you had a really good small business. And let's yeah. remember, small business is actually what fuels the economy more, more than anything else. Yeah. But if you had a small business and you had an inc- you know, a revenue stream, you would go to a bank and get a small business absolutely. loan if you had this yep. gap in cash yep. flow. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And we're trying to do a stopgap with that with crowdfunding or I yep. should pursue venture or whatever and yep. or maxing out another credit card. Right? But you're absolutely right. Some other vehicle to yeah. get you know, access money so that entrepreneurs can fuel this economy, which is what they do. Yeah. And then the second thing I would say is that um, an idea isn't enough, right? There are lots of good ideas out there. You can't fund an idea unless you're, you know, if, if Mark Zuckerberg wants to leave Facebook and he, he has a new idea, people are going to put Money behind that in a heartbeat. Sarah Blakely. I bet people would be thrilled if she I, I will give her money. <laughs> uh, but the vast majority of us, uh, you have to have a product that's in market, right? You have, you've done the hard work. You can demonstrate that there's market fit. Um, and so don't, don't go out and waste your breath trying to raise money too soon uh, you got to figure out a way, whether it's friends and family funding or, as you say, maxing out a credit card. 
Um, the good thing about starting a business right now is that you don't have to buy servers. There's a lot of things that uh, that that have have improved um, so dramatically over the course of the last five seven years that um, that it's it's possible to get to market with with a few hundred thousand dollars, and so. Um, doing that, knowing in advance what it is you have to prove before you go out and start looking for seed funding, and then making sure you hit all those points, right? <laughs> it might be helpful just to clarify for any of the entrepreneurs listening, the the reason why, you know, if a Sarah Blakely or a Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. you know, Alex or Alessandra, you know, say, "Hey, I've got another idea." Yeah. Why? Why they are attractive as an investment with an idea? Yeah. So um, one of the unknowns is always: uh, Is this person a CEO? Can they actually build a business? Um, if you have a track record of having done it. Uh, then that takes a big piece of the risk off the table. Uh, and uh, very interesting research um, that is worth looking at that came out of a VC called First Round. They've been in business now for 10 years. They were really the first people here in New York City who said, you know what, we think there's a there's an opportunity here to um, to invest early in companies before the A round and actually get a great return. And so they've, I want to say they've invested in 300 companies in that 10 years. Um, but they they looked at their numbers. There were some very interesting statistics in there. One of them was that uh, that if they looked at their female entrepreneurs versus male entrepreneurs, the women were 64% more successful than the guys. That's a big deal. Um, the other one was that, uh, that second-time entrepreneurs were something like 125% more successful. So, uh, you know, there's, a, there's just hard data that shows that not just first round, but hard data that shows a second-time entrepreneur is far likelier to succeed, both because they've learned a lot the first time round, um, uh, but also because they've they've proved that they have some of those innate leadership skills. Uh, so, you know, more people are going to be willing to put money behind that that second company when you're already in a risky, making absolutely. a ri- risky yeah. early investment. Here's yeah. a way to de-risk. Yeah, absolutely. How important is mentoring? As part of your current role, uh, well, it's it's incredibly important. It's also something that uh, I feel like I've always done. Again, this goes back to oldest child. <laughs> so um, we oldest children mentor. Uh, I think by nature, it's really something that that you grow up doing. Um, and I have, I've done a lot of mentoring, informal mentoring particularly, um, over decades. Uh, right now, 
Uh, I have a fantastic partner. She's 32 years old, Nishadua. Um, I I consider her, you know, my my key mentee. Um, she is she's amazing, and she's going to rock this world. Um, but then I also have a a couple dozen young female entrepreneurs. In some cases, there are two or three women as part of that founding team. Um, I also spend time advising a number of young women who are not part of our portfolio, but whose companies I admire. Uh, there are some of them who I've been been mentoring or what I would call advising um, uh, since well before we started BBG Ventures. Um, so there's a part of virtually every day that I spend on that, um, giving young women feedback, helping them think through something that is challenging. Um, I have a call this afternoon with with one of my um, my entrepreneurs who has a you know big issue about her company she's tackling, and she just wants to be able to talk through the pros and cons of it. Um, so yes, it's a it's a huge part of my my work, um, and it's it's also something I really like doing. It's valuable, I know, to the people who I I. I mentor, I advise, um, but I get a lot back from it. So it was part part of your DNA, yeah. Uh, yeah. But also realizing, and and I know you you understand this, realizing that that in some ways, it's part of this job of being an investor. No question. Like yes. If you're not as an early stage investor, if you don't have that kind of mentoring inclination, yeah, then you may not be the best investor. Uh, no, I think I think that's right. Um, I, I, I will say that there's a, another stream in this whole, um, uh, mentor conversation that, uh, that I don't think is great, which is that there's a, you know, I'm sure you get this too, but anytime I go to a conference, anytime I speak, anytime I meet with a group of young women, there are invariably a half dozen of them who come up to me afterwards and say, I'd like you to be my mentor. And I think, and why do you have the right to ask me this? Like, um, but- if anyone could see, there was video <laughs> in this podcast, everyone would see my hair ignite. What's, what is the question they should be asking you? You know, I think that uh, that look. There are lots of questions they should be they should be asking. But one easy one is, what kind of mentor should I be looking for right now? Right, and and uh, I think that always having mentors, whether you call them mentors or it's again, this is not new throughout history. Uh, Older or more experienced people have brought along younger, talented uh, uh, colleagues uh, who they believe are worth the investment of time. Um, and so we've now, you know, coined a term for it, 
and in many instances, young women are told that the way they can get ahead is to get the right mentors. And that's why they ask you to be their mentor, despite the fact that they're <laughs> meeting you for the first time. Right. Um, or me, uh, because they think if they can if they can just grab hold of one or two or three mentors who have have done something significant, that's going to guarantee them advancement. And uh, what I would say to them is look much closer by, right? Look for people who are really part of your world, people you admire who you work with, people you admire because they're maybe part of your extended family, um, and and try to understand first um, what they do, why you think they could be valuable to you, and why investing time in you could be valuable for them. So it, it needs to be a two-way street. Um, and uh, and I, I think in, in some cases, a mentor, a good mentor, um, can even be a peer. Oh, I absolutely. I, f- I feel with some of the young women in tech who I mentor, I, I never understand when am I mentoring them and they're mentoring <laughs> me. That's absolutely true. In terms of their leadership <laughs> skills or their yeah. confidence. And there is this element of trust and reputation. If I'm going to have someone as you know, my mentee, mm-hmm. like I'm putting, you know, trusting my reputation absolutely. with them. Um, and what I advise a lot of young women, and I think you know, Levo had done this so well with their mentoring platform, is like right here, right now. What is it? A, what is a question I can answer for you right. based on my experience? Yeah. And really looking at that kind of mentoring that way, like mm-hmm. not asking you to take on some big commitment, as yeah. opposed to coming up to you after you speak to say, "I was really interesting in this point. Could yep. you expand it? Or your career was this? Yep. How did yep. you do that?" Yep. Yeah, but, absolutely. Rather than saying, can you take on this big obligation? But that, even those questions. So I'm I'm yeah. going to even challenge that because I think that someone can ask me a question like that and I have no context for why you're asking it, right? I have no idea whether my answer to that is going to be right for you. It was right for me, but not necessarily for you. So this is, again, why I say look for people who are – who are part of your life already, somebody you admire who knows you and who uh, who can therefore give you better advice because they understand the context. Yep. Excellent, excellent advice. So I just want to go back to, so someone sent you a pitch deck. Yep. First meeting, if you someone has... Mm-hmm. The, the the ability to get in front of you and, and your team, yep. you're going to have that pitch deck there. But what I'm hearing is you're going to be having a conversation so you can figure out this team. I, that's absolutely right. And I'm going to be trying to dig deeper in all those areas that are part of your pitch deck to make sure that you really understand all parts of this business, right? So... Um, never good when someone says, you know, uh, let me get back to you on that, right? Other, whatever that may be, um, you know, a question about uh, 
uh, about what your your CAC to lifetime value is, even if your lifetime value is very nascent, right? So you're still trying to – this will not be something – it's it's a moving target for at least the next 18 months. But still, if I ask you even what your CAC is, what your 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 customer acquisition cost is um, – uh, and you can't tell me that number, that's a problem. I'm so glad you raised that because it is how many times do I meet, you know, a founder who says, well, that's not, no, no, it's your company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to know every, I don't care if you're not the technical founder. Absolutely. I don't care yeah. if finance is not your background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care if yeah. you're a marketing person. Yeah. It's your company. If yeah. you've got yeah, founder yeah. next to it and you're yeah. the one pitching. Yeah. Absolutely. Got to got to know every every single bit. Um, any other observations you would want to share in terms of needs of early stage companies after you know you're doing your own investments and and the eighteen months with you know BBG? Um, yeah i I think that that having confidence that you are building something. Understanding who that end user is and why you are you are really going to resonate with her and sometimes him, but you know again, I go back to the fact that there are probably going to be more women using your product than men, even if it is not specifically targeting women um, so really uh, believing that you can build something that is not just as good um, or that isn't just a cool idea, but that it is actually going to make her life better and that you are not going to stop until you genuinely can prove that to her, delight her, and make her a customer for life. So, you know, that that passion to to create something that is fabulous. And I'll give you another example. And this is a company we have not invested in. We actually missed the first round, but I'm very intrigued with, with what they're doing. It's a company called Lola that, uh, that created an all-cotton tampon, um, which there are no all-cotton tampons out there. So what you're putting into your body is often, you know, not great, um, and they've created a subscription product so that it's delivered to you every month. You know, you can decide what sizes, how many, um, but one less thing to think about and a significantly better product. Um, and, uh, you know, it it sounded like a really good idea. Um, they've gotten incredible uptake on it in a very short period of time. And they see the other things that they could add to that box they send to you every month um, that would even make it more valuable. But they had such a powerful belief that this was something that they and all their friends and everybody who they spend time with genuinely needed both a, a better tampon and you know, 
taking away the the midnight run to Dwayne Reed, uh, uh, that they were happy warriors. You know, they were they were driven to get this off the ground, um, and I love that. I love when someone um, really identifies a a specific need, a better product, a way to make a woman's life better, um, and uh, and has a passion to get it done. It's great. That example is also one where you you, you can just you know we can just hear the you know male investor voices in our heads as to who would buy this, <laughs> right? But yeah. it is an interesting intersection to say this is a really great example because you, I am suspecting, saw founders who had done their user research and they knew Absolutely. that there it was this was not a conven just a convenience play, yeah. but this is a health yeah. and a and a and a lifestyle and a a completely different mindset now in terms of how we're approaching well being. Yeah, and that there is a category and a growing and big category, excuse me, big category of, of women out there who say, no, 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 no. It's not just convenience. Yeah. We're New York. We got bodegas and Dwayne Reeds everywhere. Yeah. We can grab anything we need 24-7. But there's a health issue here, and there's no product like this on the market. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you, you know, the interesting thing here, and I'll give you two uh, two things I found interesting. One uh, is that um, when we were looking at them, uh, it so happened we had a meeting uh, just to catch up with one of the most active seed stage VCs in New York. They're great. Um, love them. Um, and, you know, we were trading things we were seeing. We mentioned this company. Um, uh, the guy said, you know, I'm not really um, looking in that category or not something that really interests me. And we said, just meet them. That, I think that VC is going to end up leading their next round because you just can't be in a room with them and not think, okay, they're on to something. So there's that. And um, we brought it up in our investment committee meeting thinking that this is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, it was just a, a teaser saying this is a company we're looking at. Um, and one of the two guys in there said, well, I guess, you know, it's kind of like death. It comes every month. <laughs> right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's always interesting once you get beyond the oh what do i know about tampons there there's actually um uh, if you can make a good case for it and this is where i think we can have a multiplier effect as a as a seed stage vc we can not just invest in companies that we think might not get the attention of some of the larger legacy VCs, but we can also introduce more companies to other VCs so that um, that more women end up being part of uh, of more VC portfolios. 
and that's a point I want to touch on, but I wanted to say, you know, like if with technology, if women could disrupt, you know, things like menstruation and childbirth, Lord knows we'd be on it, right? (laughs) (laughs) We would get, you know, that and menopause, we would get rid of it. We'd be good, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But the teasing aside, I was just thinking that exactly because here you found a really great company with really great founders, and you're looking at another investor and you're saying, this is this is not only a good investment, but I'm thinking this should be in your portfolio for these reasons, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And you may yeah. overlook this. Yeah. But you can do that to get these women a meeting if they don't at that point. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all of them. Yeah, yeah. And and look, it's not always going to work, but um, but it's it's definitely the case that uh, that we can we can have a much bigger impact by uh, by passing along uh, entrepreneurs we've seen who are doing something we think is really interesting and that would not ordinarily be something they might look at yet. Um, they've got skill sets and they've got history as a VC. They've successfully launched businesses that look like this. So they would actually be a very valuable investor. So that's where I think, um, again, we can, have a, we can have a broader impact than just where we're going to put our $10 million. Right. Right. All right, I get to the fun part of our interview. Not the rest of it wasn't fun, <laughs> but now we get to go rapid fire, close this all up. We're going to do our pay it forward questions, questions I ask of every interviewee, um, designed to be sort of a little bit insightful and a whole lot of helpful. What are your go-to sources of information you use every day? Uh, media Redef. Uh, uh, I have to say, I every morning I read the New York Times morning briefing. I think it is really good. It's really fast, quick, quick, quick way to get up to speed, recode the skim, um, and Twitter. You know, Twitter's a fave. It is. How do you discover new information? Twitter. I mean, honestly, and and there are certain people I follow on Twitter who who just deliver over and over again but um but uh, you know it is i think one of the great things that that has come from um from the evolution of technology is this ability to to see what is happening real time uh because of platforms like twitter and just think how better the platform will be when they get to gender parity (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what book are you reading uh, I always have more than one book that I'm reading. So um, right now I'm reading The Wright Brothers, and I'm reading a book called Cheerful Money by Tad Friend that uh, is just a great look at the kind of dying wasp through his family. And he's such a beautiful writer. It's just a really, really pleasant read. In my next lifetime, a novelist, thats I, I'll put that out there, or a cat, one of the two. But um, what's the conversation we should be having in technology that we aren't? Um, hmm. 
That's a good question. Uh, look, I think that um, that we probably should be having a conversation about uh, why female entrepreneurs are not even more successful that doesn't start with the fact that it's too hard to get money. So, uh, you know, there's a lot that doesn't get addressed because we have this, you know, big rock we're trying to get up the hill. And I think there are probably a lot of more subtle issues that that could and should be addressed um, once we can get this big, hairy one off the table. Let's, let's, let's do that in 2016. Who influenced you most in your career? Um, you, you know, I did not have a whole lot of role models to look at when I was I, – I started working in 1974. So, you know, it was a uh, – it was a really different era. Uh, but, you know, the people who have influenced me, interestingly, have been usually peers, people who um, who I looked at across a table and thought, uh, I, I could be more like that, um, not people who were at the top of companies. Period. Love that answer. What is the best advice you ever received? Um, you know, I've been asked this question so many times, and I I feel like um, I there was a period of time where I gave one answer, which was Dick Parsons once pulled me aside and said, uh, "Just remember that when you're negotiating with someone, leave a little on the table." because you're going to meet them again. This is not winner takes all. So being conscious of the fact that someone on the other side of the table has to be able to keep their head up um, is going to be a very valuable lesson. Uh, And it was a great lesson because over the years, by keeping that in mind, a lot of people have come back into my life either um, uh, because they liked working with me or because I had been fair to them um, and often at times when I really needed them. That's like we could have a whole podcast on that advice, which is such brilliant advice, but particularly thinking in the startup community where it is so small, leave, leave something on the table. Yeah. What makes your work fun and rewarding? Oh, you know, I spend my days, I'm 64 years old. I spend my days with 30-year-olds who are incredibly optimistic about what's possible in this world, who... Uh, who believe that they are going to be able to change things and make the world better. Um, a lot of my peers have become a little cynical. Uh, they're winding down in some cases, and I am surrounded by people who make me feel like this is the middle of my life. What do you reach for in your wardrobe when you know you got to get out there and <laughs> kick butt? <laughs> um, 
something that, uh, you know, look, I have a pretty good closet. I worked at Gilt for many years, (laughs) and I still shop on Gilt a lot. So, you know, today I have on a pair of Dolce & Gabbana uh, pants and a J. Crew cashmere sweater, and that's the way I dress, right? It's a combination of... of, stuff I can buy that is well-made and reasonably priced and things that are incredibly special and make me feel cool. And get delivered to your door. <laughs> get delivered to my door and that were a great price when I when I hit buy. <laughs> and I can tell you I love that too. All right, you do a lot, but I got to ask it one more time. How do you pay it forward for women? I think that the way we we all pay it forward and we need to pay it forward is by spending time with younger women who uh, who have the potential to really not just carry this on but to, but to do something remarkable um, and uh, that's the the great thing about that answer is that when you do that you get something back so it's not just a question of I'm doing something because I want to do good. It's I'm doing something that I believe is going to do good, but that is also going to do good for me. I'm going to get a whole lot out of it. Well, I got a whole lot out of this interview. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you for listening to Broad Mike. We welcome your feedback. Find us on Facebook where you will have show notes and additional references for a deeper dive into today's topic. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Please review our podcast on iTunes, which will help other listeners discover BroadMic and grow the BroadMic community. BroadMic is produced by Christy Mirabel with editing by John Marshall Media. Our executive producer is Sarah Weinheimer. Think Broad.